The following podcast will contain spoilers and explicit language. Hello and welcome to a very special edition of The Other Wrestling Show. My name is Joel and I'm here as always with Mike and we're going to break down all of the action from Saturday Night Dynamite in All Elite Wrestling. Before we get to the action, Mike, how's it going? It's weird talking to you on a Sunday, man. NBA playoffs are in town, so AW gets a preempted and, uh, you know, it was kind of nice not having the the stress of having to do all of this during the week. <laughs> I don't know about you, but did it feel a little nice to have a little time off this week? I don't know. It's just kind of weird. Like, I kind of center my week around Dynamite. And, you know, lately it's been the Deadly Draw and then Dark and then Dynamite. And so, you know, it was it was unusual. I didn't know what to do with myself on Wednesday when I didn't automatically have something you know, on the agenda to do. So, you know, I, I kind of missed it, but I really like this Saturday night show and, and we'll get into that later. But, um, but yeah, it was, um, it was a weird week. Yeah, man. Well, we still talk this week, so we'll be getting you guys some bonus episodes here in the next few weeks. So be on the lookout for that. While we had the week off from our dynamite coverage, we still recorded some podcasts for you guys. So, uh, yeah, so it wasn't a complete week off, but it definitely was different. And yeah, it was it was a nice, nice week. Kind of, you know, I'm feeling better. So my cough, <coughs> I say that my cough is still here, but it's not as bad as it's been. And it's kind of back to normal, back to the gym, uh, back on the uh, old diet train. So same old, same old with me. A lot of video games, a lot of doing nothing. So quarantine life week 27,000 or whatever. <laughs> yeah, I find myself in a weird position, which is that I just recently bought the sequel to a game that I've owned for a long time, but never played. Um, and, and the reason I didn't play it was because I, I own it on PC and I'm just not much of a PC gamer, but the sequel came to switch. And so I don't want to play the sequel until I've played the first one, but playing the first one means I have to play it on my computer. So I'm like in this weird space of like trying to play this game that, you know, it's awkward. I don't prefer playing games on, on PC. And so it's a, uh, it's a bit odd, but have you heard of hand of fate? Uh, no, I haven't. Well, it's a, it's a pretty cool game. And so I've been playing through it, but basically uh, it's a, a role-playing game that has like some card elements, um, but it's very like narratively focused and built around different choices and things. And the idea is you have these decks of cards and you you add your cards in and the dealer adds their cards in, and then the cards get laid out in kind of an isometric map that you move through. And each card that you turn over is a different like dilemma or challenge or battle that you have to face. And so it'll go from this isometric view into a third person view where you're like controlling your hero and have to like fight stuff. Um, it's pretty cool, uh, but it, it's just got this really neat, um, charming aspect to it with the narrator constantly uh, talking to you. The dealer is the narrator. And uh, so it's, it's kind of cool. So I've been playing that and I want to get through it like as quickly as I can so that I can move on to playing the second one, which I have on Switch. So that's that's what I've been up to. 
Huh. Fun stuff. Let me know how it is. If it's good, I got a PC. I got Steam. I'm always down for games to play. So, yeah, I mean, the game is great. I just don't like review. playing it on PC. If if the first <laughs> one had come to Switch along with the second one, I would be playing it on Switch, and I'd probably get through it a lot faster. <laughs> All right. Well, anything else, Joel, before we dive into a really packed episode of Dynamite? Yeah, we got a lot to talk about. So uh, let's get right into it. The Dynamite that was. Is the sound working? I'm not hearing anything. Yes, it's working. I can hear it. Okay, glad you can hear it. (laughs) So Saturday Night Dynamite kicked off with a blistering tag team match between FTR and Private Party. FTR got the win. Cash Wheeler cashing in with the Goodnight Express. This was followed by a promo from AEW champion John Moxley uh, discussing MJF, and MJF responded with a promo of his own and lawyered up. After this, uh, we got a match between Jurassic Nightmares, I'm calling them, combination of the Natural Nightmares and Jurassic Express against the Butcher, the Blade, Pentagon, and Phoenix. And uh, Jungle Boy got the pinfall win for his team in that match. This was followed by Eddie Kingston coming to the ring and rallying the troops, getting the Butcher, the Blade, Penta, and Phoenix to seemingly put aside their differences and rally around his flag. After that, Britt Baker came out to cut the promo and to recruit Penelope Ford to face off with her against Big Swole in a handicap match on next week's Dynamite. We then got an interview segment with Tony Schiavone interviewing Orange Cassidy, where he was quickly interrupted by the inner circle. And Chris Jericho announcing the first ever Mimosa Mayhem match. Let that one sink in a little bit. Next up was the Dark Order taking on the Elite. The Dark Order being represented by 3, 4, and 5. And the Elite being represented by the Young Bucks and Kenny Omega. Kenny earning the pinfall and going absolutely berserk in the post-match. Had to be held back by the Young Bucks. Next up, Alex Marvez interviewed FTR with Tully Blanchard and discussed the upcoming gauntlet match in the tag team division where the winners will face off with Hangman Adam Page and Kenny Omega at All Out for the AEW Tag Team Championships. Next up was a match between Darby Allen and Will Hobbs. Darby Allen getting the win in that affair, and after the match, being confronted by Ricky Starks and Taz. Next up was Matt Hardy attacking Sammy Guevara and putting him through a table. We then got an announcement that Thunder Rosa, yes, that Thunder Rosa, will be making her AEW debut at All Out, facing Hikaru Shida for the AEW Women's Championship. This was followed by the final match of the Deadly Draw, where the Nightmare Sisters took on Ivelisse and Diamante, Ivelisse getting the pinfall victory in that affair. And finally, the main event, Brody Lee absolutely destroyed Cody in a dominant match where he won to become the new AEW TNT champion. So big, it went over our sound effect. (laughs) <laughs> yeah i'll move that sound effect <laughs> um yeah let's start here with the main event joel holy shit does this does this qualify as a squash match based off of the rules of matt hardy well i think technically uh technically matt hardy 
or it's not Matt Hardy. <laughs> Cody did get more than one offensive maneuver in. If Barely. you count the individual strikes that he made at the beginning of this match. Uh, but after that, it was really all Brody Lee, completely dominant. And he did win with a massive clothesline, which is technically a move previously used by the Steiners. So I think this was a squash match. It was just got absolutely demolished, stretchered, and would have been carried out by the medical personnel had the Dark Order not taken over and just absolutely obliterated him after this match was over. Yeah, man, it was. There's not much to talk about here in the match itself. The match, pure domination from start to finish. Uh, one we very we don't really see in high profile matches like this. So. I I was shocked. I, I was I thought it would be like most of the TNT title matches so far, pretty competitive. I did have a feeling that Brody Lee was going to come away with this. It felt like the right time, and it felt like the TNT title should change hands on TNT. And the fact that this was hyped up as a special episode of Dynamite, everything was there for a title change to happen. But I did not expect it to be so one sided. And we talked about multiple times before about okay. Brody came in, had his big feud with Dean, kind of took a step back for a while. And we kind of seen the slow ascension of, excuse me, the Dark Order throughout the summer. And I feel like this is just the the culmination of the efforts to build up the Dark Order. And what a dominant display post-match. It was a little uncomfortable to watch at times. I don't know about you, but Aaron taking some bumps, then the night the a natural nightmare is getting dragged out, and Brandy throwing herself across Cody's body to try and stop the attack. And then we just had to watch her get choked out by Anna J. Like they've been compared to the Manson family. And this was the first night where it truly felt like some Manson family chaos here. So Joel, what are your thoughts about the post-match brutality here from the dark order? I mean, I thought it was great. It, it really sets them up as a dominant faction and they are really well positioned from a storytelling toolkit perspective, right? Because as a writer, you have people in the Dark Order who can lose. So they, they don't have to be set up as this unbeatable faction where nobody loses, but they do have these different levels. And if it's to the point where, you know, Brody Lee has a dominant run and doesn't take very many L's, Evil Uno and Stu Grayson hardly take any L's. And then all of the losses are kind of in this lower tier, the creepers, if you will. Uh, I, I think that's a good place for them to be. And you can have some good compelling storytelling within that. If it's members of the elite and the natural nightmares teaming up, uh, sorry, the nightmare family teaming up to try to go at the dark order and, and go to war, you know? So I think there's a lot of places they can go from here. And my favorite moment was Brandy coming out and, and trying to protect Cody. And it seemed for a moment that, okay, this is it. Like we've seen the last of this beatdown. And then there's Anna Jay who gets the nod from Brody Lee, knows exactly what to do and gets Brandy in the rear naked choke. And that's it. Uh, absolutely brutal. Arn taking bumps was, you know, Obviously, he didn't actually take any bumps because of the way they did it, which I thought was really mm -hmm. clever. Um, but, you know, getting a little bit of a beat down there and just really great work by everyone all around. Cody in the match just 
absolutely ragdolling at the end mm-hmm. and really selling that, you know, he had suffered some kind of an injury and needed that medical attention. So I found it to be very compelling television. I was, you know, even though we had kind of talked about Brody Lee potentially going over in this match, I was still shocked that we didn't get a single kick out from, from Cody. He just went down, you know, two power bombs and a massive clothesline. And that was it. Yeah. I'm curious to see how this fits in with the perceived storytelling storytelling that we've seen from Cody here, the, the exhaustion, the, you know, frustration, the mental drain of doing this every single week. Um, so I hope that this is in, this whole story with the, the, the dark order now is, is tied to that. Cause I would hate for that to just kind of go on the wayside, like, Oh, he got beaten down. Now that's the, the fuel for the story here. So I hope that his mental exhaustion is a, a focal point going forward. And we're what, uh, two weeks away, Joel from, uh, all out. Yeah. 13 days now. Cause it's technically Sunday. This, this show took place two weeks from all out. Exactly. And, uh, we're in a good place. There's a lot that's shaping up. And, you know, as they do every single time, AEW has put the pedal down and gotten me excited for this upcoming pay-per-view. And I know these next two weeks of shows are going to do even more to build these stories, build up these matches and get us ready. Yeah, I feel like some multi-man match here between the Dark Order, Nightmare Family, seems to be in play like a Brody Lee, Stu Grayson, Evil Uno versus Cody, uh QT Marshall, Dustin Rhodes. You could also bring in the Elite, but they seem to be tied up in the tag team championship storyline right now. So curious to see what they do here. Do they do a straight rematch between Cody and Brody? Or is it more of a faction based uh fuel uh feud right now? And I doubt we're gonna see the continuation of the TNT open challenge as we know it. And maybe it's a good thing. We get a little break from that. I I would love to see that Brody come out and like, says he's doing the open challenge. And then it's just like one of the members of the creepers that he just like (laughs) put in its place. It's like, Hey, we had an open challenge. So, uh, absent from the B town tonight was Cole Cabana. Curious where he was and wonder how that plays into this going forward. And, Matt Cardona tweeted prior to the match, like when TNT did their like tweet, he's like about the TNT championship being on the line. He was like, I'll be watching. So wonder how Matt Cardona potentially plays into this story. And yeah, fun title change, fun match, love the unexpected. And this was definitely that anything else here, Joel, before we, we move, move along. Now we have so much to talk about. We got to move on and Something else that I'm excited for with regards to All Out is the debut of Thunder Rosa. Uh, This is not the first time that her name has been brought up on this podcast. You know, she's someone that I've thrown out there many times as someone who would shore up the division and bring an immense level of talent and ability to the women's roster. And I'm so excited. I lost my shit when she popped up on screen. (laughs) So... You know, this is a huge get, and I hope that this isn't a one-off. I hope that she is signed and able to be a regular member of the AEW roster. And if you think about it, Sheeta has had the title for a long time. So, Mm -hmm. you know, it would be a really strong way to debut to have Thunder Rosa come in, 
win the AEW championship and then stand tall in the middle of the ring with two belts as part of this all out show, which is going to be huge. So, you know, I'm excited. If you haven't seen Thunder Rosa, check out her work in other companies. She was a big part of NWA, uh, the, the recent NWA show that was on YouTube. So go ahead and give that a look. Um, you could also find some of her work in Ring of Honor. That's where I first encountered her teaming up with Hall of Dead. So they kind of had this freaky supernatural tag team um, and just really, really talented wrestlers, both of them. But Thunder Rosa is definitely the the star out of those two. And I'm excited to see her in AEW. Yeah, if you're going to have an uh, AEW Women's Championship match with practically no builds, bringing in someone like Thunder Rosa is a good way to do it. Like, it's it's kind of one of those, it's a dream match. It's probably the biggest, one of the biggest names not in AEW or WWE right now. So to bring her in and have her face off Sheeta, it, it hasn't technically been confirmed yet for All Out, but based off the promo, it's it seems like it's pretty much a given. Um, and yeah, her having the NWA World's Championship right now probably means it's more likely a one-off, but we've kind of seen with some of these one-offs, what appear to be one-offs, they take, they come in, they do their match, and they come back like a month later. Like, we didn't really see much of Eddie Kingston after he debuted against Cody, and now he popped up here tonight, seems to be in the verge of some sort of faction. Same thing with, um, oh, uh, Ricky Starks. He had his match with Cody, then a few weeks later, off TV, pops up in the middle of this uh, Darby Allen um, Taz feud. So it well, seems like if they I'm, could, they could have her come in, do the match mm-hmm. and then re-debut a little later once things kind of calm down. Cause I'm wondering if they don't sure. have some kind of a, an arrangement with uh, NWA and, and with um, Billy Corgan, because, you know, we've seen, Colt Cabana come in from NWA. We've seen Ricky Starks come in from NWA. Now Thunder Rosa, Eddie Kingston. There have been a lot of people who were part of that roster and they can't really do anything right now. They haven't been able to resume production. And, you know, I I just wonder, is there some kind of an arrangement right now to, you know, keep NWA afloat? by working with AEW and setting up a kind of talent sharing system, which I think would be beneficial for both companies. Uh, there are two it's, very different flavors of pro wrestling between the two companies, but talent translates. And I like a lot of the talents who were in NWA, and I think it would be really cool to see them you know, work together. I'll say this is a, a time where I really wish wrestling contracts were widely available, like NBA, NFL, like I can very easily go on uh, a website and find out the status and the contract of any NFL, NBA player. It'd be really nice to be able to know that right now. And while it does seem that Kingston and Starks are just straight up AW signees now, based off everything we've seen and heard, it could be some sort of arrangement behind the scenes. So um, definitely, I don't know much of Thunder Rosa. I'm going to have to go. I know her by reputation. Um, I'll have to go in and watch some of her stuff leading up to this match at all out. Um, but yeah, I do hope that it's a, a potential long-term signing. Cause as we've talked about before, this women's division has taken some hits with COVID travel restrictions, injury bugs, 
uh, it, it needs some needs a, a shot in the arm, and someone like Thunder Rosa is definitely uh, in that category. So, um, anything else about Thunder Rosa, Joel? Can we transition into our next topic? No, we can move on, and we uh, actually are transitioning to another former NWA talent that we've already mentioned, Eddie Kingston. I was so excited to see him again, and I love this role of him coming out and getting in between two tag teams that were bickering. I think I mentioned before my introduction to Eddie Kingston was when he was running um, LAX, and seeing him as, as a manager who could go out and bump and cut these amazing promos is a great role for him to be in. And I really like uh, this spot for him. What did you think of this interaction and the apparent pairing of the butcher and the blade with the Lucha bros? So first off, uh, Eddie Kingston is just such a damn good promo. That was a really good uh, segment there. It seems random at first, but, it just it made a lot of sense. If this is a faction, I'd be curious to see where it goes. Is it just maybe a pep talk? We'll see where it goes. I, it could go in a lot of different directions. Um, I personally think that the Lucha Bros need to be in something more prolific than what they've been in the last few months. They're just too damn good to be this periphery tag team. Um, but if this is a way to get them some story and get them some momentum, then let's go. and. Eddie Kingston is probably already one of the top five promos in the company. Like, I feel like that's an easy assumption. So, uh, great use of his talents. If he's going to be managing these guys or motivating these guys. And it kind of seems we've had some new little factions pop up here recently. You know, the elite and the nightmare family are essentially two different entities right now. We have the Taz team as Taz described it tonight with him, uh, bleh, Ricky Starks and Brian Cage. Wow, I'm to- there we go. Totally blanking. Brian Cage is, is a, a secondary player to, to Ricky Starks right now. But, um, you know, if this is just another chance for a new faction to pop up a new direction, then let let's go, man. Uh, you know, I, you've mentioned before Eddie Kingston with LAX and if he can be that same type of presence for these guys, um, so be it, then it, it should be, should do magic for, for everyone. But what a, what a, like, I was just mesmerized, man. Like he only spoke for a few minutes, but I, I hung on every single word that he said, and maybe it's his eyes. Like the dude has some good, pretty eyes. Like, <laughs> like he just kind of drew me in and captivated me. So just really good stuff here from Eddie Kingston and they need to use him more. I think it's something that, you know, we've talked about for a long time since way before the podcast about pro wrestling and what we want from it. And it's people sounding like real people. Like so many of the promos that we would see in the other wrestling company were clearly promos that came out of a writer's room and not like how big, tough guys talk. And you need to have characters that are believable and sound like they ought to sound. The kinds of words that he chooses, the delivery, the intensity, it makes everything that Eddie Kingston says very believable. And sounding like a real person goes a really, really long way in getting those promos over. And I think that's the skill that he brings to the table. Well, I, can, I think you could say that about AEW in general. None of the promos feel 
super scripted. Um, they all kind of feel like extensions of themselves. And, you know, same thing with Jericho tonight. Ricky Stark's promo with Darby was fantastic. Uh, and I think in wrestling, you can kind of cover up like a bad ring worker if they're paired with someone great. It's hard to kind of mask a poor talker or a badly scripted promo. And we see that in other companies all the time where it's like, okay, 25 people backstage got their hands on this promo and now it makes no goddamn sense. So um, I think that's just a, a testament to the product that AEW has and the the storytelling that they're interested in doing. So um, yeah, I, I think Eddie Kingston's a, a perfect match for what AEW is right now. And if, you know, we don't hear promos a lot from the Butcher and the Blade. We don't hear promos a lot from the Lucha Bros. So giving them this mouthpiece, especially, you know, <laughs> they tweeted, uh, T uh, AW tweeted this week, happy birthday to Pac, member of the Death Triangle. I'm like, what's a Death Triangle? Like, it doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't exist anymore. Like, like we can, we can stop that. And I don't think it's a coincidence that they're pairing the Lucha Bros with, with Kingston here to be that mouthpiece that Pac probably was going to be for that group. Definitely. Well, we've got a lot to get to in lightning round. So shall we move on? Yes, sir. If I could just get to the button, do a monitors. Lightning round. Yo, all can right. we talk about that Starks promo? Go for it. <laughs> it's all you. Yo, man, I loved Ricky Starks coming out dressed up as Darby. Did you did you see that he had emo written on his chest? Yeah. <laughs> and I loved I loved the parody. I'm always down for parody promos of other characters when there's not blackface involved, <laughs> a la Nation of Domination DX, but this was really fun. And then just the beatdown where he's like, that's what you are, a joke, a clown. The difference between you and me is I don't need face paint to be somebody. I'm absolute Ricky Starks. I'm better than you in every single way. I thought we were going to have a Brian Cage, Darby Allen match at All Out. It seems like Brian Cage was a supporting character here to the Ricky Starks, Darby Allen feud. I loved I it. I'm all in. Like. If if we if we get maybe Brian Cage is the big bad down the line, maybe. But I want to see Darby Alley, Ricky Starks now, because I feel like their styles are going to mesh so freaking well. And if that's an all out match, that's my contender for stealing the show. Definitely. I mean, it's the kind of match that you want to see kicking off the card and, you know, high energy, chaotic so much charisma between those two. I mean, that's basically, I think, the two most charismatic individuals in the company right now. So, you know, you put the two of them out there together and you're going to get magic. So I'm I'm really excited for this pairing. Yeah, it, it's it's going to be awesome, man. So what what's something that you have for us in Lightning Round today? Two words. Mimosa mayhem. <laughs> <laughs> yes so i don't know what to expect i think this is gonna be crazy we were calling for it we wanted to see the rubber match between these two and it, it's you know leave it to jericho to come up with some cockamamie idea of what this match can be that plays into both of their characters and seems so bizarre and so apropos at the same time. Uh, 
I have no idea what I'm going to see, uh, but I know for certain that I'll be watching with rapt attention. It's too bad they're feuding here, because if they were a tag team, Mimosa Mayhem would be perfect as a tag team name for these guys. Um, but yeah, Mimosa Mayhem, if you weren't paying attention, it's a match where there would be a 80-gallon tub <laughs> of mimosa made from a little bit of the bubbly and 100% freshly squeezed orange juice and you win the match by pinfall submission or throwing your opponent into the tub of mimosas they and well have I, said the only way to win is by throwing your opponent into the tub <laughs> because we know that's how it's gonna go right i mean well, someone's it's, it's like a i cake, don't oh. right you can't have a cake on a wrestling show without putting someone through the cake it's the law i have i have a theory here i think the reason that pinfall and submission is available is to allow Jericho to get the win, but still get the embarrassment of being thrown into the mimosa post-match. Well, I mean, sure, that's a possibility, but really, the important thing is someone's going in that tub of mimosas. And, you know, I I kind of, I'm torn about this match because at the same time, I would rather just have the 80-gallon tub of mimosas for myself um, and not you wait die. by by throwing a wrestler <laughs> into it, but you know, I'll Think take of what the I children. There's thirsty children out there. Wait, <laughs> let's move on. One small problem with that. <laughs> um, next thing I want to talk about is Diamante and Ivalice winning the Deadly Draw Women's Tag Team Tournament. And really, the question I have for you, Joel is did the Deadly Draw succeed in what it was meant to do? Well, I mean, I think that's a difficult question because do we know what the intention was? Was there a stated intention? Because I think it did a few things. I think it advanced the story of the Nightmare Sisters. I think it played into the larger story of the Nightmare family getting demolished over the course of this episode of Dynamite moving towards all out. And I think it also raised the profile of two new talents that were brought in, Ivalice and Diamante, as well as establishing Allie and Brandy as legitimate competitors in the women's division, which previously they had only been in a manager role. So, you know, if the intention was any of that, then I think it succeeded. But, you know, it, it's hard to know because they didn't say, hey, we're doing this thing because X. So, well, I think it was safe to assume that they were trying to spotlight new women, spotlight the division, give them an opportunity to work where they weren't getting the opportunities on Dynamite. And for me, it's it's incomplete. If Diamante and Ivelisse disappear from our televisions here over the next six weeks, then what was the point? And if Brandy immediately becomes an accessory into this Nightmare Family versus Dark Order match that we think is going to happen at All Out, like, does it really put her and Allie back in the division as women's competitors? So, to me, it's it's incomplete. I loved all the matches. It was a really, really well put together uh, television YouTube event. Um, but to me, the jury's out because now that we've established these people in, the, in this tournament, where are they going from here? Like, we we haven't seen Nyla Rose since. She got eliminated and like I luckily we saw Anna Jay tonight, but like I want to make sure that Tay Conti's still getting some work here and there and Big Swole, Little Swole, you know, maybe not as a group, but 
maybe little swole's there next week to help out big swole like there's stuff that they can do and i want to make sure that the women highlighted in this tournament continue to get some sort of focus here in the future so anything else joel or do you have another lightning round topic for us so watching the show i really expected that the opening tag team match was going to be a part of our stock up stock down because it, it was, was incredible uh so i want to talk about that now in brief and one of the things that stood out to me from this match was how much personality was on display from everyone involved so we saw a lot of showboating and uh, kind of taunting behavior from private party. We saw a lot of villainy and sneakiness on display from FTR. And then we saw a lot of personality from Aubrey Edwards, which is not unusual. And I think this is a topic that, that's come up a lot uh, since the inception of AEW. Uh, but I wanted to get your take. What do you feel about refs as characters? Oh, man. Uh, when it's done right, it's great. Um, some of my earliest wrestling memories are of Charles Robinson in WCW as Lil Nate. <laughs> like, I remember the storyline where they basically got him involved as, uh, you know, he was like wearing Ric Flair's robes and coming down to the ring. And then I remember, uh, what was it, Earl Hebner and the Triple H stuff from the, like early 2000s where or Hebner like shoved Triple H to the ground. Like I'm all for it. And I think it, it can add to the storyline and in other sports, we don't want refs to be part of the story. <laughs> We've seen that with my Dallas Mavericks and the Los Angeles Clippers so far in these playoffs. But I think in wrestling, it can add something if it's done right. And the person is right. And I think Arbery is definitely one of the people who should be allowed to kind of be more expressive. She's also, kind of the no shit ref you can't get away with bullshit with her she's going to pull a weapon out of your hand she's going to get in your face we've seen her get in shoving matches with freaking uh jericho so i i definitely think you have to pick and choose i also don't think you can have every ref doing it like i feel like there's definitely a one or maybe max of one or two people who are allowed to kind of show off their personalities like this but i i'm all for it i love aubrey edwards my favorite ref in wrestling right now I, I agree. I like for the referees to have personality. And I think what it does is when you want to involve a referee in a storyline more explicitly, they already have a character for you to work with. It always felt awkward to me when a ref got involved in a storyline in WCW or WWF, WWE, because they didn't really have established characters. So you had to spend part of that narrative creating the character for them before you could have them do whatever it was you wanted them to do. And it also kind of showed your hand of, okay, the ref is going to factor into this storyline in a big way. Whereas with AEW, since the referees have these characters all of the time, when you need to use that aspect of their character as a story beat, it just kind of seamlessly and naturally can happen without giving everything away. So I'm, I'm really a fan of it. And I also think, you know, they're performers just like the wrestlers are. So giving them the opportunity to add some flavor to a match is a good thing, in my opinion. So yeah, um, I, know I also there's... like that AW has enough refs that for the most part, each ref only really refs maybe one match a night. I remember on some of the long WWE shows, like you're seeing Charles Robinson out there four or five times 
And I think if you're going to try and do some storytelling stuff based off the ref, it's good not seeing them out there three or four times in a night. Like if like Aubrey Edwards is going to get involved in the match, let it be the only match he's involved with that night. So, um, and I think, I think, I think AEW understands that they're all performers, you know, they're, they're, no one's getting shortchanged here. They're all performers in their own right. Managers, wrestlers, uh, commentary, they're all characters. We're seeing that established with, you know, Taz as, com- as a commentator. We saw it with um, Excalibur when he was on TV, uh, like his, his role, his character. So I, I think it's just, once again, testament to what they're doing over there. So what else you got? Um, <laughs> um, I liked when, I, so I'm going to talk about the, the Britt Baker, Penelope Ford, Kip Sabian segment. <laughs> and it's only one thing when Britt Baker talks about how saliva can lead to teeth decay. And she's like, you've been exchanging a lot of saliva lately. And Kip goes, yeah, we have. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I laughed so hard. <laughs> like, like he was, oh man, if I was Kip Sabian and I, and I was engaged to Penelope Ford, I, I'd be that cocky too. Cause <laughs> they're both wonderful together, but. That made me laugh so hard. And that that's it from you can what else you got, Joel? <laughs> well, I did want to talk about Matt Hardy absolutely losing his shit again and you know trying to kill Sammy Guevara and uh you know throwing him off the stage through a table, beating him with a chair, and then trying to exact mirrored revenge by using the same kind of chair that Sammy used to bust open Matt Hardy's head to, you know, seemingly, you know, get color on Sammy Guevara as well before he was restrained by the officials. Uh, So I like that this match is heating up. And, uh, you know, maybe this is a good time to transition into looking at next week's show. Uh, But we also found out that these two are going to be squaring off in a tables match on Thursday Night Dynamite this upcoming week. Thursday Night Dynamite. is it? Do you find it weird that this match is on a dynamite and not at all out, which is 13 days away? I feel uh, like this storyline has been built for so long, going back to double or nothing with <laughs> them running him over. Like, I felt like this should have been a pay-per-view match. And obviously, there's still there could be shenanigans. There could be a much larger group match involved. But um, I thought this was pay-per-view worthy. And I know that AW has a history of putting gigantic matches on their TV shows leading up to pay-per-views. Remember the pack Kenny 30 minute Iron Man match? Like it's part of what they do. I was just a little shocked. I think AEW does a really good job of having stories that take place entirely on dynamite and then having stories that take place for the pay-per-views. And what it does is it reduces bloat. You know, one of the chief complaints that we've had over the recent years, really since, you know, the yes move in Daniel Bryan's WrestleMania, which was the last short WrestleMania. Oh, um, so good. Seven matches. Six is, matches maybe. you know, just how long pay-per-views are getting. And I don't want to watch a pay-per-view that's more than four hours. I really, really don't. And that's like, including the pre-show. I just get tired. And by the main event, I'm like, not that interested anymore. So if they give us some of these big matches that have been stories that have been developing over time and the blow off takes place on Dynamite, I'm okay with that if it means that we get more time for the matches that are going to take place at the pay-per-view. Those matches can be highlighted and we get a nice, tight three-hour show, three, three-and-a-half-hour show. 
Makes sense. All right. One last thing in lightning round before we move on to the preview for next week is I want to talk about Kenny Omega attempting murder tonight. (laughs) Yeah, speaking of people losing their shit. Yeah, uh, once again, a little less subtle this week, but the moment that really like showed, okay, something's happening here with Kenny is after the whole confrontation with the Bucks, you know, he lifts his arms up and he's standing in the front of the ring and he just has dead eyes. No emotion in his face, just staring down the camera. And then he ducks out of the ring and leaves for the back. Yeah, it's beautiful. I love it. It's so damn good. And I can't wait. I can't wait to see what happens here with Kenny Omega. Yeah, we had talked previously about it maybe being a little too subtle. I don't think it's too subtle anymore. I think they're not tonight. (laughs) They turned the dial up. And, you know, if we don't get a Kenny Omega heel turn, uh, I'm going to lose my shit. So let's let's make this happen. We all want to see it. So it's time for Kenny to, you know, evolve into the number one heel in this company, go on a tear, destroy everything in his path. And you know, live up to the Terminator, live up to the cleaner, live up to all of these monikers that get thrown at him and be the singles performer that we all know he can be. It's the year of Kenny, baby. Let's go. And let's move on to what Dynamite has in store. Everyone, this is a Thursday night episode of Dynamite due to the NBA playoffs, a Thursday night Dynamite. Set your calendars, set your watches. And what we have in store for next week is something that I'm going to have a thumbs down for all the time. Chris Jericho will be back on commentary. Yay. I mean, is is it something that someone else is going to not be on commentary? Because, you know, as long as it's not 13 people in the booth, you know, we can we can make it work. I mean, he's been good before, so I'm willing to hold my judgment for the time being. But, you know, pull somebody know out they of don't, there. We, we know don't they need don't Taz God. and Jericho at the same time. We, we know that they have a history of not pulling someone when Jericho's on commentary, other than the quarantine tapings when they had to. So I will wait and see, but I just not never a fan of Jericho on commentary. <laughs> not, not anymore. Um, but we have a giant match next week, a tag team gauntlet match, where the winner will receive an AEW World Tag Team title match at All Out. And I like how they incorporated the rankings into this, Joel. It's the top four ranked teams in the division. The Natural Nightmares, number four, was start against number three, the Young Bucks. The winner would then face the number two team, the Best Friends. And then the number one ranked FTR would then face the winner of that match. Uh, I have a feeling there's going to be some shenanigans with the Bucks and FTR in the final because I still think the triple threat with the champs makes the most sense for All Out. Um, but if it ends up being FTR versus Kenny and Page or FTR versus the Bucks, like the story's already there. So, Joel, what are your thoughts on this gauntlet match? Uh, I'm pulling for chicanery here. I liked the interaction between Adam Page and FTR. I thought that was really good storytelling with them kind of talking him down, placating him with beer, and bringing him around to their way of seeing things and saying, hey, the most important thing is that. You know, we get to square off at All Out because we respect each other. And, you know, we don't have that same respect with the Bucks because of what they've, you know, said about us for the past seven years. So I like 
the way they did this and the way they set it up. And I think that match is definitely more interesting and that there are more paths to go down if the Bucks are in that match along with uh, Paige, Omega, and FTR. I also can't see any way that they have the Bucks not on a match at All Out. Yeah. So, all right, we can move on. MJF and John Moxley will face off in a contract signing and someone's going through a table. It's, it's part <laughs> of contract signing history. So my guess is uh, Wardlow puts Moxley through a table, but uh, they both had some pretty solid promos tonight. It seems like the paradigm shift will be banned from their AEW championship match. Uh, what are your thoughts on that potential stipulation and, and the the segment, the contract signing. God, I can't talk. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I mean, I don't really like contract signings. They're extremely not my jam. So um, I'll be watching, but I expect it's going to go similarly to every other contract signing in wrestling history, which is it's not going to go well. (laughs) Yeah. Yep. Pretty much. I, I, I think it's one of those tropes that we can retire. I mean, we've had contract signings that were just contract signings in recent history, and it was kind of refreshing. Like, oh, there was no kerfuffle. Nobody attacked anybody. It was just a promo battle, and then they both signed and walked away. How nice. And, you know, I, I'd like it if we got that here. Let's have a war of words. There's no need to throw hands at this point. Um, you know, we're, we're this close to the actual match. So um, I think we got enough heat without, you know, putting hands <laughs> on each other. I think Moxley should just hit him with a paradigm shift every day. Like just put it on social media every day. MJF just gets walloped with a paradigm shift leading up to the match. (laughs) But that's just me. Um, The next match on the, well, no particular order, but another match on the card next week is Big Swole versus Britt Baker, Reba and Penelope Ford. I, this has to have some chicanery because I felt this definitely was a pay-per-view quality level match. That's been building since goddamn late April. <laughs> and like, I'm curious if this actually just ends up being a singles match between Penelope Ford and Big Swole. 12. Like if if Britt just refuses to tag. Not in. cleared yet. And yeah. You know, I mean, she could even get up on the apron and just refuse to tag in and, you know, then Swole, you know, not get her satisfaction and demand a match at all out. So, I mean, there's ways it could go, but I agree. I don't think, I don't think this is the blow off. It doesn't and rem- seem to make sense. And remember when Brit first got hurt, they announced Brit would make her in-ring return at all out. So seems a little weird to, to give us that two weeks before the pay-per-view. So curious to see what goes on there. I fully expect big swole bit break Brit Baker to be added to the all out card. This feud deserves it. This feud, this is the longest running feud in AEW right now, which is pretty amazing. <laughs> and then we most likely would be the main event of the show, Matt Hardy versus Sammy Guevara in a tables match. If it's anything like what we saw today, I'm I'm or I'm ready for it, man. It should be one of those like short matches that's just chaos the entire time. Give me like 10 minutes of them just beating the hell out of each other and I'm going to have a good time. Agreed. I think we've already talked about this one enough. All right, guys, that's it for today's episode. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at The Other Wrestling Show. 
can find us on Twitter at OWS underscore pod. Joel at the other Joel. You can find me at Michael underscore Aranda. Uh, <coughs> sorry. We are on iTunes, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, any of the podcasting apps on the Android network. You can find us. Subscribe, rate us. We'd really appreciate it. Really uh, can help us out in getting the word out on the podcast. Um, did I miss anything there? I think I got everything. You can email us at the other wrestling show at gmail.com. Boom. Got it. <laughs> Joel, anything else before uh, we enjoy I mean, this nice Sunday afternoon? Making my triumphant return. I do have a random observation this week. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Random observation of the week. You should really tell me that when we do the rundown before. <laughs> I like because I way. always forget to ask. I always forget to ask. I like it this way. It's more fun. Uh, so while he may be the master of the hot tag, Nick Jackson is not the master of uh, having great sock game because he was wearing white socks that uh, were coming out of his little little black shoes that he wears to the ring, and it was all I could see during that match. What's wrong you know, with white socks? Uh, well, you know, when your socks aren't supposed to show, uh, you don't want to wear white socks because they stand out. Uh, and it just looked ridiculous. So, you know, his gear has a tendency to ride up a little bit on his calves. And so the tassels don't always cover all the way to the shoes. Um, and... Matt has the same problem, but Matt wears black socks, so you don't notice. Uh, but you know, as soon as I pointed out Nick was wearing white socks, it was it was all that we could see in my household uh, for the rest of the match, which is a shame because it was it was a really fun match. And uh, you know, just anytime his socks were on display, it was like, oh look, Nick's socks. So there you go. Sounds like a personal problem, man. <laughs> don't focus on the socks. Focus on the match at hand. I think somebody's getting defensive because they also wear white socks. Yeah, because Michelle, my old roommate, basically told me to throw out all my white socks and she got me all black socks for my birthday. I don't get it. They're socks. Sounds like she was a great roommate. (laughs) Bullshit. Socks are socks. Not that important. No, they are not. That is that is absolutely ridiculous. Uh, I hate your observation this week, Joel. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> and i don't hate a lot admit, of things you have to admit it was random oh yeah definitely fucking random um but all right yeah so cool all right guys we'll see you here get you your episode on friday this week and joel anything else before we we go away there has never been a better time to join the dark order join dark order Remember, everybody, life's a work. Duck the clothesline. And happy wrestling. Bye.